This is a station editorial, a statement of management opinion. Here is WTMJ Vice President and General Manager Steve Wexler. At a time when Wisconsin needed decisive, thoughtful leadership, we got neither. All three branches of our state government and both parties let us down. Our governor, faced with the dilemma of a growing pandemic and a looming election, waited too long to ask for a delay. Then when he finally did, our state legislature decided that a political power play was more important than the public's health. Their refusal to delay the election or convert it to a mail-in election was unconscionable and tone-deaf. And it didn't help that all of this was happening while our judicial branch issued conflicting and often confusing decisions. Stay home, our leaders told us. Brace yourselves for a week reminiscent of Pearl Harbor, said the U.S. Surgeon General. But here in Wisconsin, our elected officials, unable or unwilling to put people over politics, told us to go out and vote. To more crowded polling places than normal, due to the shortage of available Election Day workers and fewer polling locations. Our three branches of government, entrusted by us to look out for us, went 0 for 3. Most of us are simply trying to keep ourselves and our families healthy, worried about the state of our economy and the ongoing impact of the coronavirus on our pocketbooks. Meanwhile, the men and women who represent our interests made political calculations that neither served our democracy nor kept us safe from harm. We deserve better. Let's hope that in the coming weeks, common sense, leadership, and bipartisanship will prevail so that we can unify as a community and begin the healing that we desperately need. In these critical moments, we're not independents, Democrats, or Republicans. We are Wisconsinites. News Radio 620 WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. Here is the deal. Let me kind of go through what we know, and then I want to discuss this with you. It's just mind-boggling, and it might not technically be illegal, but if it's not, it should be. The reality is no car insurance, no problem. Nuts to that. Let's get them off the road. Impound the cars. Make the streets safer. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855 855- Five six one six one six twenty. What are those people talking about? You got a deal. A deal is a deal. Stop whining about it. Live up to its obligations. And now WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Boy, what an interesting day. Where I am now, looking through at my window to the world, you've got that the sun is shining brightly. Well, what happened is, oh, about an hour or so ago, it was snowing like heck. That's right, snowing like heck. Welcome to spring in Wisconsin. Interesting times. We have a lot of ground to cover on today's program. And as I was saying in the discussion I was having with Steve Scafidi a little bit earlier, this is one of those programs where I'm convinced that by the time it ends at 3 o'clock, I will have said something to antagonize all of you because there's going to be stuff you disagree with me on. There's going to be stuff you agree with me on. and, And that's fine. That's what makes the discussion. Now, we are going to be talking a little bit about the mail-in aspect of the election and you know what went on with the ballots that apparently weren't received in a prompt fashion. And now I see that the head of the Milwaukee Elections Commission is calling for an investigation of the post office into how was it that they didn't deliver you know ballots that have been requested. And by the way, I, I think 
I think that that is a fair sort of question to ask, and it underscores and highlights one of the problems that you have with with running a, a mail-in election, and it's one of the reasons why it wasn't practical in any fashion to try to do that just on, on the spur of the moment. If it's something you're going to do, I think you've got to start planning for it years in advance to make sure the mechanisms are in place. Having said that, though, it does take a lot of, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh, guts. It does take a lot of guts for the head of the Milwaukee Elections Commission to be pointing fingers at anybody, post office or, or whoever, in connection with the operation of the election on Tuesday. Let us agree with a couple things. Regardless of where you want to point the finger for the blame, it was... Just if you looked up the de- definition of hot mess in the dictionary, you would find Tuesday's election. But here is the reality for what was going on. This election was always scheduled to happen. Now, you can argue about whether it should have or not. But the truth of the matter is, weeks before the election, when it would have really been the opportunity to put stuff on hold and postpone it, weeks before the election, the Democrats in the legislature and the Democratic governor and the Republicans in the legislature didn't want, for whatever reasons, and I think there were political reasons, there were other reasons, they didn't want to postpone the election. So all along, the message was, this election is not going to be delayed. It's not like it was a surprise. Whether you think the election should have occurred on Tuesday or not, it's not like it's a surprise that it was going to happen. Everything was moving apace towards the election. So all the people that were responsible for making sure the election came off as scheduled, they knew It's not like something was thrown in their lap 12 or 24 hours beforehand. You knew that this was going to occur. Now, maybe you thought it shouldn't have, but it doesn't matter. You knew that this was going to occur. Some election officials across the state behaved like grown-ups and responsible adults and people who were competent in their job. For example, in Madison, what happened is they realized early on that we're going to have a problem. We've got 90-some polling places, but we know that a lot of the people who volunteer at our polling places, we know that, uh, for example, they're in the target age groups, that you know they're more vulnerable perhaps, they're going to be uncomfortable going out in public, etc. We know we are going to have a shortage of our regular poll workers. So what did they do in Madison? Knowing in advance that this was going to be an issue, they became proactive. And and what they did is they started an active program of recruiting people to replace the volunteers that they knew weren't going to be showing up. They reached out to all the other city employees who were going to be coming to work. And they said, hey, look, we, we, we're going to need poll workers. So what we'd like you to do is we'd like you to volunteer to work at the polls. And we're going to set up this, this training sort of thing. They reached out <clears throat> to the, the UW, the University of Wisconsin system. And, and they went and they said, hey, look, we, we need workers. Can, can you help us along? They made an act. They, I think they, they even they had a list of all the bartenders. 
And, you know, the, they, the, because, you know, bartenders have to be registered and licensed. So they know all these bartenders. These bartenders, lots of whom aren't working now because all the bars are closed down, they were proactive. They reached out to people, and they brought in a new group of people, and they worked on getting them trained, and they did this over the course of the weeks leading up to the election because they knew that there was going to be a shortage. And at the end of the day, they were able to keep approximately two-thirds of their polling places open with, my guess is, and they also had National Guard people to help supplement it. But, but they were proactive. They went out, they recruited people, and they were able to do it. In contrast, in the city of Milwaukee, They normally have 180 polling places open. They had five. They had five. And I understand that the head of the Elections Commission is saying, well, you you don't understand. Milwaukee's the center of the pandemic. I understand that. I do get it. And, you know, we have these older poll workers who, you know, they they kept calling in and they kept calling in sick and sick and, and canceling. And I understand all that. But the question that is not being asked is, okay, once you saw this happening, What did you do? It's not like you didn't know the election was going to happen. The election had always been scheduled to occur. So, I mean, the question is, why aren't you doing and why didn't Milwaukee do things like they did in Madison? Did they outreach? Did they try to go out and recruit other city employees and say, hey, look, we need you to come work at the polls today? Did they reach out to the bartenders, all the other people that they have on a list? Did they make calls to UWM and say, hey, you know, we we need poll workers. You know, can we work together? Do you have a list of political science students, you know, who, who aren't taking classes now because of this? You know, can you send out emails? Let, let's reach out to the political science students or, or whatever. Let's see if we can get a whole bunch of volunteers in. Now, would that have meant that they were able to open 180 polling places? No, they they wouldn't have. But should they have been able to open more than five? Absolutely. But the difference is, if you are proactive, actively recruiting people, trying to bring people in like they did in Madison, and I understand that Milwaukee is different, and I am not suggesting that by even the most proactive efforts, trying to, let's figure out, let's, I hate the phrase, think outside the box, because it's such a cliche, but by trying to think outside the box, all right, could, could they have gotten enough to open up half the polling places? Probably not. But could they have gotten up enough to open up, well, I don't know, maybe a third? You, you would think so. But instead, it appears that the city of Milwaukee just kind of sat on its hands, twiddling its thumbs, going, oh, and then, and then, of course, now we blame all the people. Well, we didn't find out that we were going to have 150 National Guard people till, till Monday. All right, we were, we were just, let, let's blame this, let's blame that. And again, I, I understand it was just a mess. And again, reasonable people can argue whether or not the election should have occurred. But when we are, if we're looking at Milwaukee and we're saying, okay, there's blame to go around, I think the blame starts with the election commission, which at least in my opinion didn't do anywhere near enough to bring in other people to try to deal with this. And it's just amazing to me that this type of stuff goes on. Look, I think about your own life. Think about your own business. My guess is... In an era of coronavirus, you are having to adapt. Your employers are having to adapt. Maybe you, like me, are working at home. All right, well, that that poses all sorts of challenges. And, you know, if 
because things aren't normal. And so, you know, when something goes wrong, you can either sit there and say, oh, something's gone wrong and we'll just, you know, we'll, we'll just have to muddle through. Or you can be proactive in going out and trying to find alternate solutions and making stuff work. I got to tell you, I mean, at the, the people I work with at Good Karma, our, our engineers are, are just absolutely tremendous whenever there's like a problem or a glitch instead of, Okay, saying, okay, there's just a glitch, deal with it. They're so proactive and saying, okay, we're going to try to come up with an alternative. We're going to try to figure out another way to do this. And 95% of the time, they're able to work it out. And I appreciate that, and I respect it. So, yes, it was a mess yesterday. Yes, people should not have had to stand in line for two hours to vote. And yes, maybe this raises larger questions about how we stop this from happening in the future. But when you're pointing fingers and you're saying, well, it's the problem of the post office, and there might be issues. We'll talk about that later on. And we didn't get this information, and they shouldn't have had the election. Okay, those all might be valid points. But it's also valid to say, what did you do? to try to make this situation better? And did you do what other clerks were doing that apparently worked? And my guess is the answer would be no. So if you look at the mess that was the Milwaukee election, there's a lot of blame to go around, but some of that blame definitely belongs with the Milwaukee Elections Commission, who was caught once again with its pants down in terms of dealing with this issue. Okay, when we come back, one of the the administration's stars in connection with this whole coronavirus thing, has been Dr. Anthony Fauci. He's out with a really interesting statement about what the world is going to look like after coronavirus. I'm going to tell it to you, and we're going to discuss whether or not he's right. Stick around. That's coming up in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. By the way, the breaking story today is Governor Evers directing that a number of state parks be closed. Just so people realize this, he's not ordering all state parks closed. There are specific state parks which he is directing closed, primarily in in southeastern Wisconsin. We'll probably talk about that a little bit later on. But but you you want to check. Uh, we have a broad listening area, and if there's a state park in your area. It may still be open. Like I say, he's directed the closure of 40 of the state parks, primarily in, in southeastern Wisconsin, largely because he believes that too many people were going to them. All right, so Anthony Fauci is, of course, the doctor that you see on the news, and um, he's for years and years been you know one of the heads and one of the leading figures on dealing with the whole um, concept of infectious diseases and allergies and things like that he's been the director of the national institute of allergy and infectious diseases since 1984 and i think he's come across as one of sort of the trusted sources you know moving forward on the coronavirus issue well, he's out there giving a number of interviews and talking about when we can start reopening, and that's all very interesting. But there was an interview he gave earlier this week where he was trying to talk about what, what, would, what is the world going to look like after we emerge from this, this coronavirus thing. And on a Wall Street Journal podcast yesterday, one of the things he, he started talking about was in-person contact. He said, okay, first of all, one of the things I think that you're going to start seeing is you're going to see absolute compulsive hand washing. 
people you know who might not have washed their hands before they're they're going to be doing this and you know we're going to be using the hand sanitizer people who never paid attention to this are, are going to be paying attention to it now he said the other thing is he said after this is over i think people are going to realize that you should never ever ever shake anybody's hands here's the quote he said you don't shake anybody's hands i don't think we should ever shake hands ever he said if we ended handshakes it would be good to prevent coronavirus disease and it would probably decrease influ instances of influenza dramatically in this country he said he's never believed in shaking hands and of course if you will recall president trump he he's sort of like that too i mean president trump is what he self-described clean hands freak he says um i just i don't like the whole process of, of shaking hands all right our number 855-616-1620 that is the acunet mortgage talk and text line this the the, the process of shaking hands i i think is it is a common, <clears throat> generally accepted greeting in this country and worldwide. It, it's one of the things that you do. I mean, politicians, they go out when they're campaigning, they're, they're shaking hands. Remember former U.S. Senator from Wisconsin, Bill Proxmire? He used to have a clicker that he would carry around, <clears throat> and his goal every day was to shake whatever the number was, a thousand hands, what, whatever, and he would, he'd have this little clicker you know, in his left hand where he'd count actually how many hands he shook. It was a way of greeting. It was a way of people keeping in touch with everybody. After coronavirus, are you going to stop shaking hands? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, let's take a very quick break. I, my take on this... I don't think I'm at that point. Now, if people are uncomfortable with it, I appreciate that. I'm probably going to be carrying around hand sanitizer. I'm definitely going to be more careful about, again, the hand-washing type of stuff. But are we ready to make the cultural change of doing away with the handshake? And will you stop shaking hands? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The doctor says we'd all be a lot safer if we did this. We discuss. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Dr. Anthony Fauci says people should never shake hands. Understanding because it's a way to spread disease. All right. Are, are we now going to eliminate that post-coronavirus? Are you ready to stop shaking hands? Mark in Sheboygan. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, no, I'm not ready to stop shaking hands. As an old dairy farmer now in the construction business, back in the day we sealed more deals shaking hands than with a piece of paper. Right. But with that being said, uh, there's got to be that, I don't know what you want to call it, that sixth sense where, this gentleman, no, I don't think he's all fired up about grabbing my hand. So it's, you know, you're going to have to pick your spot, so to speak. Right. right. No, thanks for calling. See, I, I think most people are going to be like that. And I tell you, I'm not ready. I, I'm not ready to give up shaking hands either, or 
or or completely divorce myself from the type of physical contact. And you pat somebody on the shoulder or something like that. I, I'm not ready to do that. Now, I, I do acknowledge that I think one of the changes I'm going to have moving forward is that I'm, I, I think it's going to be great for hand sanitizer things because I, I have right now, I have a little bottle of hand sanitizer in my pocket and I, I, I use it after I've gone to the grocery store. And, and I suspect that moving forward, I'm still going to always have that. And after I shake people's hands, yeah, I'm, I'm probably going to use that, but I'm not going to give up the process. Dave on the South Side. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, Jeff, remember when you uh, interviewed for a job, you always shook the manager's hand and when you came in for the job interview. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, Dave, thanks for the call. You, yeah, that, that was the, the typical way of greeting. Fred, who is calling us from Texas. Fred, you're on WTMJ. Hello. <laughs> yeah, hi there. Um, I, I'm originally from Waukesha. I live down here in Houston. I um, I lived in Thailand for 10 years, and they don't handshake. They why. It's kind of a bow. You put your two hands right. together. You why, and it's a sign of respect. Um, you know, culturally, we're used to handshakes, but, you know, it's, it's something that shows respect. You know, I don't think bows are going to help here, but maybe a why might help. Hmm. Do you think people will... It's, it seems to me that, that's, that, that maybe that's a gradual sort of thing. My guess is it's going to take at least, if, if we decide we want to get rid of handshakes, it's probably going to take at least a generation to do that. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Um, it's something, yeah. though, that, you know, Asians, are, they're really now mm-hmm. focused on, um, you know, germs, and they're all wearing masks, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, handshakes are not prevalent over there, and, you know, we just see their numbers dropping. It, it might help here, but you're right. It's going to take probably a generation. Yeah, thanks for the call, Fred. Thanks for listening to us from from Houston. I, I think the first step is going to be, I think, more and more, and, and that is a good thing to come out of this. I think more and more of us are going to become concerned about and pay attention to germs. And, and like I say, I think um, if, if I own stock in, like, hand sanitizer companies, I, I think that that's going to be a boon because I think moving forward, there's going to be a lot of us who are – more aware of this. A lot of text on this. Jeff, what a bunch of baloney. I'll be shaking hands and hugging like I've always done. I don't choose to live my life in fear. That's Beth. Uh, Jill, on the other hand, says shaking hands is gross. You never know anybody's um, leave of hygiene. A little uh, bow, hands up. Um, right, that's the Namaste thing. Um, that's it. Jeff, you're right. Bill Proxmire would be rolling in his grave. He shook hands for hours and at State Fair. I can remember it. Again, I'm Bill Proxmire, for, for people who aren't of a certain age, long-serving senator from, from the United States, from Wisconsin, and he would camp out at State Fair, and he would just, he would shake thousands of hands. It was just amazing, and you saw Senator Proxmire, by the by the end of the day, he'd be in this heat, and you know, he'd, he'd, he'd be sweating and stuff, and you, you can only imagine how many people touched his hands and stuff, but that was his way of greeting. He probably would be rolling over in his grave. Are we ready to do away with handshaking? I think not, but don't be surprised if there are some modifications. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. And now the sun is out. Snowing a little while ago, the sun is out. Welcome to Wisconsin in spring. All right, uh, the most recent numbers, and of course they change constantly, but the most recent numbers in connection with Wisconsin and COVID-19 are um, 114 deaths, 
2,862 positive cases and 30,000 negative. Now, I, I bring this up only to offer a little bit of perspective. And those, the, the 114 deaths and the, the positive cases, the majority are in Milwaukee County. I mean, it, it really has been a, a disproportionate impact. And of those in Milwaukee County, the majority are, are in the city of Milwaukee. So this has kind of been a localized, localized situation, which doesn't mean that it's not a statewide problem. Now, that, those numbers, 114 deaths, which are, of course, unacceptable, but at the same time, if you're looking for good news, remember a couple weeks ago when we announced all the shelter-in-place and the safer-at-home standards, the model that the state rolled out said, unless we do this by yesterday, by April 8th, we're going to be looking at, at 400 to 1,400 deaths and 22,000 cases. Now, the, the truth of the matter is, I think, twofold. First of all, I think Safer at Home is working. There, there's just no question about it. And secondly, the models that they used were all screwed up. I mean, I, I just, I don't know where they got that information. I'm not saying bad faith or anything like that. And it's good. I mean, it's it's good that Safer at Home is working, and it's good that the models that they used were, were screwed up because, I mean, 400 to 1,400 deaths always struck me as being apocalyptic. But but still, you know, we, we still have an issue, 2,862 positive cases. And my guess is because there's still a lag in testing, there's probably more cases than that that are actually out there because, truthfully, we, we still don't have enough tests. So you have people who are at home who might have coronavirus or COVID-19, but they're not bad enough that they need to go into the emergency rooms or whatever so that they have it and they're going to be able to recover probably without the without the major treatment. So that 2,862 number is probably low. That would be my guess. But at the same time, it's still by, by you know, it's still dramatically below what the original state predictions were of 22,000 potential cases as of yesterday. So that, that's kind of the good news. We still need to maintain safer at home. And I, I think everybody understands that. Everybody now knows about the flattening the curve and things like that. At the same time, let us be honest. We have to start figuring out the plan to reopen the state and to get people back to work. Now, I've been arguing for the last week or so that we need to do it in a smart sort of fashion. We need to do it by looking at, at geographic areas where statistically there's almost no coronavirus and maybe saying, okay, we can return to normal faster there. We need to start looking at businesses. And to me, the question should be, instead of saying, okay, we think your business is, is non-essential, all right, and, and we're going to close it, because candidly, the, the definition between essential business and non-essential, I, I don't think it makes any sense at all. People can't figure out, okay, well, why, why does Hobby Lobby have to close, but the fabric store gets to stay open, all those sort of things. I think as we move forward, the inquiry has to be, does opening this particular store or does opening up this particular area, does that significantly increase the likelihood of a coronavirus outbreak in a particular area or, or not? Because, again, coronavirus is going to be with us until you get a treatment, which is probably a year away, or a vaccine, which is probably a year and a half away. And, and I don't hear, I hear a lot about closings, but I don't hear anything about plans about, you know, how we're going to open stuff up, which brings me 
to Austria. Austria announcing today that, and Austria has been locked down since March 16th, the entire country, um, which in Austria, um, March 16th, it became, you know, one of the first, it's now on the verge of becoming one of the first Western countries to try to reopen its economy. And and here's here's what the people in Austria are saying. I mean, this is the plan. What they've noticed is that, you know, infection rates have decreased, just like in Wisconsin, a lot of the modeling that they had, whether it's social distancing working or whether it's, okay, maybe the models were a little bit screwed up. What they're saying, what they're seeing is they're saying, okay, things, things appear to be improving. So what they're doing is they're talking about a step-by-step reopening of of the country here's what they're saying they're saying that um as of april 14th they're going to reopen the the parks they're going to start reopening a lot of the smaller stores may 2nd all other stores including malls and hair salons are set to reopen restaurants and hotels are going to have to wait to reopen until mid-may um schools well you know schools are probably going to be closed for the rest of the year they haven't school year they haven't made a decision on movie theaters or public swimming pools or churches or sports facilities but what they're essentially saying is for the the smaller businesses that are out there that have been ordered closed well, okay, we have a plan, and we're going to start reopening these over the course of the next week or two. And they're really starting to look at, all right, by keeping some of these small businesses closed, all right, are we really stopping the spread of coronavirus, or is it time to get the economy back on track? Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it time for the governor to start at least rolling out a plan. And even if you don't know the dates, even if we're not prepared to say, okay, we're by by April twentieth, you know, we're we're ready to open up the the small businesses, the the small the the dog groomer shops and and by April twenty seventh we're gonna open up the barber shops and things like that. Even if we're not prepared to say, okay, what the exact date is isn't it reasonable to say we now start have should be hearing about the plan to how is this going to be rolled out? You know what what is the plan going to be? What businesses are going to be allowed to open, um, and and when? Instead of just saying okay everything you know has to continue to be closed because I, I think again you can make a strong argument. I understand why some of the public places are closed. I, I get it, and some of the places where large Numbers of people might tend to congregate. I get it. But I have never for the life of me, and I've been saying this for a couple weeks, you know, understood why the, the one-person dog grooming shop has to close or why the, the golf courses, and I understand people feel strongly about this, why, why the golf courses have to close. I mean, what's the statistics behind this? But I think it's reasonable now as we look at what's going on we see the numbers. Isn't it reasonable to start to say, okay, what, what, what is the end game? And you can adjust it. You know, if you decide, hey, our goal is to reopen the state by this date, this is how we're going to do it, and these are the businesses that are going to come first. And if we have a sudden spike in the numbers or something that, that makes you change that thinking, I, I understand. I, I get it. 
but isn't it time to start rolling out what the plan is as we come out of this? And candidly, my answer to that would be yes. And my answer would also be we need to do it more community by community. Because like I say, you know, Milwaukee County disproportionately hit hard by this. So maybe it makes sense to keep the barbershops in Milwaukee County closed for longer than it takes to make sense to keep the barbershops in La Crosse closed. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think it would be nice as we talk about closures and we encourage safer at home and all that stuff, which is clearly appropriate, would be nice to start hearing what's the plan to get the state of Wisconsin reopened. And if it means that we've got to kick those dates back, if you say one date and it means you've got to kick it back another week, okay, that, that's fine. But, but I think it's time to start telling us what's the big picture plan here. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Austria is in the process of, of reopening their, their country, and, and they're doing it systematically. They're saying, okay, uh, by we, the, we're looking at the numbers, and by next week we're going to allow a lot of these smaller stores to open, and then two weeks after that we're going to allow the restaurants to open. And by the way, stuff can change if the numbers start to spike, but based on what we're seeing now, this is our plan. Shouldn't we have a plan in Wisconsin? Mary in Berlin. Mary, you're on WTMJ. Hello. 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 What do you think? Hello, you're on the air. Yes, yes. Hi, Jeff. Um, Hi, Mary. I've listened a lot. This is the first time calling in. But I just um, said to your screener here is that I live in the northeastern part of Green Lake County, where we right. have zero, as of this morning, zero instances. Within 10 to 30 minutes, I can be to Fond du Lac, Winnebago, Washera, and Marquette counties. The only two that have a little bit more than, I think, over 10 incidences are Fond du Lac and Winnebago. But um, I really think this would be wise for our area. We have a lot of small businesses here. I'm retired, but I work part-time for um, a woman who has a business in in Berlin. She also has Mm -hmm. one in Ripon. Of course, that crosses county lines. But if she could open one store, that would help her tremendously. My husband's a, a handyman. He has opted not. He works primarily for elderly clients, <laughs> and right. he has opted not to work because he doesn't want to put them um, at risk unless it's an outdoor project. So right. if he could at least get on, get in his truck and get working, if, say, the owner of the Hamilton store could start opening her doors in Berlin, that would be great. Yeah, yeah no, th- thanks for calling. See, what you're talking about to me make, makes sense because – I, my, my, I mean, here, here's my argument. We're, given we're, what we're seeing about the debt, and is there always going to be some risk? Absolutely. There's always going to be this risk. But, but to me now, the question is, now that we see how this is kind of playing out, the question becomes, is the risk that you're going to have an, an outbreak in Green Lake County if you allow some of these small businesses to open up, is that, is that really a likelihood? What are the statistical odds of that? And are you any more likely to expose yourself to a a risk 
by dropping your your dog off, and I keep saying this because my dog needs to be groomed, you know. But but again, I mean, I know like lots of dog groomers that they, they work you know, they're, they're either by themselves or maybe like one other person. Okay, is is your risk of passing on or picking up coronavirus is it substantially more if you let the dog groomer you know operate his or her business than it is if you're standing in line at the Costco or the Menards? And, and my answer would be no. And and I think. We need to start being smart. I understand why it was that you had to, okay, let, let's close this stuff down. Let, let's close everything down. And I, I also, I'm in favor of the broad definition of essential businesses. But it really is kind of tough to justify why some businesses have been closed and why other businesses haven't been. So that's why I think we need to start doing this, and we need to start asking ourselves a question. Given that we've seen this data, given that we're seeing the numbers, where where are the numbers? Where is the risk factor? And you have to be flexible because, like I say, if all of a sudden you start to open stuff up and then suddenly you see that this huge outbreak that's occurring in Green Lake County, well, maybe you need to be prepared to, to pivot. I don't think that's going to happen, but it's it's possible, I guess. You need to be you know prepared to pivot. And I also understand that it's going to be different for different businesses. Do I understand the justification for, I don't know, keeping a a a, a health club that might at any given time have hundreds of members there. Do I understand maybe the justification for keeping that closed for a longer period of time than, again, keeping Mary's Hallmark store open where she's going to have a half dozen customers in maybe during the course of the day or the family-run jewelry store where you know maybe you're going to have 10 or 12 customers walking in a, a day and you're going to have you know limited contact. We, we need to be smart, but we need to, I think, start making this plans. And it would be nice for the governor to start saying, what, what is the end game of this? And, and what is the plan that we have, if there is in fact a plan, for starting to, to get people you know, back to work and back to normal without exposing them to undue risk, which is always the, the thing. And I, I mean, I'm hoping people are working on that. I'm just not hearing any of that, because all I hear every day is that these are the numbers, and we need to close more, and we need to close more, and we need to close more. Well, oh, okay, that's fine. We do the social distancing. We do these types of stuff. Obviously, it is working to an extent, but but where? Tell me how we're going to start, you know, getting businesses back open. And I do think I include that, you know, with aspects of the hospitality industry. And I, I think, you know, I want to. I think it's now time to hear if you're not able to give a definitive date. I do think it's time to start saying, okay, to the restaurants and the bars around here, this is what we are looking at. And we can't tell you exactly when the date is, but these are some of the rules and restrictions that we're looking at to allow you to perhaps reopen and let customers into your business. Now, once you allow the restaurants and the bars to reopen, that doesn't mean that people are going to come back. I, I actually think some of this is going to take care of itself because my guess is it's going to be a while before some people, not everybody, but it's going to be a while before some people are, are comfortable going back to settings where you're, I don't know, standing in a bar where there, there's other people and you're in relatively close contact. My guess is it's going to be a while before people are, are comfortable in, in going back to, to restaurants. So, I mean, I, I think the restaurants and the bars are going to have to, again, adopt their own sort of social distancing thing, you know, maybe limits on the number of people. But I, I think it's way past time. As I look at, at the damage that is being done to, to the economy by forcing businesses to close 
it's, and I'm not saying be irresponsible, because whenever I say that, I get this text, well, what's, what's the value of a life? Well, okay, life is important, but there's always some sort of risk-reward thing, and I just want to know what the plan is to understand when we're going to start letting people get back to work and how we're going to go about doing it, because I think you need to reopen the state gradually. Different areas deserve to be treated differently, and different businesses deserve to be treated differently, period. We're going to take a quick break. Back with lots more in just a couple minutes. Don't go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. One more thought about the election on Tuesday and, and what we do moving forward. We are clearly, in the state of Wisconsin, not equipped at this point in time to go to an all-male ballot, male as in M-A-I-L, male election. Nor do I think that we should go to an all-male-in ballot election. Now, it's now. I mean, here's the bottom line of this. As, as it was becoming more and more apparent that we were going to be having an election on, on Tuesday, and like I say, reasonable people can agree or disagree whether or not that should have happened. But as we were moving towards that, the advice that was being given out was, okay, what you want to do is, if you're uncomfortable going to the polling places, request an absentee ballot in in the mail. And a lot of people did that. And what ended up happening is clerks all across the state got overwhelmed by the requests. The problem was made worse by a federal court decision out of Madison, a federal judge who sort of started trying to rewrite the election laws and extended the deadline to request absentee ballots. And once he did that, the ballots that were sent out just a couple days before the election had no real, there was never really an opportunity that they were going to be able to be received and returned by 8 o'clock on election night in a timely fashion. So the whole thing was was just a mess. Now we're, we're starting to see reports of, I don't know, a, a bin or two bins full of um, absentee ballots that presumably hadn't been delivered, had been requested but not delivered, a tub of this being found in a Milwaukee postal station. It appears in the head of the Milwaukee Elections Commission, and the Elections Commission is saying, hey, we're, we're finding problems that we sent out some of these absentee ballots on the 22nd and 23rd. It doesn't appear that they were, they were ever delivered, all of which are, are I think, valid concerns. And Despite the fact that I, I think there was a lot of screw-ups in the city of Milwaukee and the way they approached this, I mean, it is fair to say if somebody, you know, made a request and you sent out the ballots, why, why weren't the ballots delivered? But that, again, underscores to me one of the problems with trying to do a mail-in election. And I know they do it in a couple states. I think moving forward, the issue becomes, should we do away with in-person voting? Should we say, look, we, we want to try to encourage as many people as possible to vote. And so we want to make it as, in, as, as, as convenient as possible. So why, why should we expect, this is the argument, why should we expect people to have to request an absentee ballot? Why should they have to do that? Why should we expect people to have to actually go to their polling place, either early voting or or on election day and and stand in line and maybe they're going to have to wait 15 minutes or 20 minutes to cast the vote why should we make people do that why don't we just allow people to just it will send everybody 
who is a, a registered voter, we'll send them a ballot in the mail. And then what we'll do is we'll just say it, it has to be returned by a particular date, but, but otherwise you don't have to do anything else. Would that be a better way of conducting elections than, than what we do now? Whereas if you want to vote, you know, you, you got to show up on the day of the election or you have to make arrangements to vote early. I mean, would we be better off just saying we're going to send everybody ballots and then, you know, you, you fill them out, you, you follow the rules. We need to have standard rules. In Wisconsin, for example, on the absentee ballots, some come prepaid with postage in some communities, others, others no. Is it too much to ask that people actually, like, either show up to vote or make arrangements ahead of time to, to send it in? Should we go to this mail-in ballot? It would arguably increase participation. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My answer, no. My answer is, I, I think, for the integrity of the system, it's reasonable to require people to, I mean, show up or at least make reasonable efforts to get the ballot and then return it in advance. I don't think that's too much to ask, but this is the latest move. Just send everybody who's registered, send them the ballots, let them return. What could possibly go wrong with that? 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, is the lesson from Tuesday that we should just do away with in-person voting and let everybody vote by mail and let everybody who's registered get a ballot. Now, of course... We all know in Wisconsin that there's all sorts of problems with the registration system because you've got those people who moved um, whose names haven't been moved from the list. But I digress. Good idea. Should we just go to mail-in elections? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And would you feel comfortable participating? I candidly, I enjoy going on Election Day for a lot of reasons, but one of the things is I like walking up to that machine, taking my ballot, putting it in, and seeing that it is registered, as opposed to just, hey, I'm going to drop it in the mail, and Lord love the Postal Service, but I'm going to drop it in the mail, and I'm going to hope it gets delivered. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should we just go, should we skip this whole idea of saying, you know, you've got to go to the polling place on Election Day and vote? Or if you're not going to show up in person, what you have to do is actually request an absentee ballot and then fill it out or or drop it off. I mean, is that too much to ask? The alternative is, Everybody who's registered, just send them a ballot in the mail and then let them return it. 855-616-1620. Dave in Appleton. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Absolutely not. I want it to go back to the old way. Voting is done on Tuesday in person. If you can't be there for a legitimate reason, you're overseas, you're out of the state, you ahead of time get an absentee ballot, fill it out, and return it before that Tuesday of the election day. The problem is nobody wants to get their fat little butt out of bed and go and do their civic duty. I don't want everybody voting. I only want the people voting who have actually made a commitment to get out of bed that morning, drive down to their local grade school, church, or whatever, in a polling place, present their photo ID, 
and vote on that day. This whole thing where Madison and Milwaukee get to start voting four weeks before everybody else gets to start the vote, and then you wonder why, you know, the elections well, thank, are thanks called, the David. way they are. Now, fair, well, in fairness, I, I, it's actually it's only a week, uh, but I mean, I do agree with you that the, <laughs> you want to talk about just an insane system. Not to digress too much, but that the polls in in Madison and in Milwaukee open up a week before they open up everywhere else. Uh, okay, but but I guess look, I mean, I don't, I really believe it, and I don't have a problem with making it easy for people to vote. At the same time. Um, you, you do have to have some safeguards in, in this system. And the idea of just sending out ballots to everybody who's registered at a particular address, um, man, you, you want to talk about the potential for skewed sort of uh, elections. Uh, Jeff, our daughter has been married and an active voter in Arizona since 2016. She is still on our voting lists here. No matter how many times I say something, it's just asking for problems with mail-in voting and situation like this. All right, now here's the flip side. Jeff, I can file my taxes online, pay my bills online, order products online. Why not voting online? All right, well, that's I guess that's the flip side. More and more of us do that. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but... I, I I won't say I never send in you know checks, but most of my regular bills I, I do you know handle online. I've got the secured thing. I go to my bank account or my website, and I say, okay, this is the it's time to pay the utility bill, and this is how much the utility bill is, and sends it off, and it takes care of that. So technology is changing now. Of course, right now for the mail-in voting, they're not talking about voting online because that would exclude a lot of people who don't have access necessarily to the Internet, etc. They're talking about the, the mail thing. Everybody would get the ballot in the mail, and you just send the ballots back. have another text that says, hey, that's for my, my stock directors. That's how I, I do it. I just I get the proxy thing in the mail. I just check the box off, and I send it in. Is that the same as voting? Brian in Appleton. Brian, you're on WTMJ. I think, I think you're completely missing the boat. I think if people of goodwill actually wanted to try and find a solution to have people vote more easily, they would. And it seems really clear to me that the folks down in, in Madison on the Republican side just candidly didn't want people to vote. And so I think you're, you're putting up a good straw man, but you're really not getting to the crux of the issue, which is... Well, okay, well, let's talk about the mail-in voting. Let, let's talk about the mail voting. Should, should we allow people to vote in the mail? I think it's, it's a waste sure, of time. Of course. I think it's a waste of, of time course. to talk about it because that's not the real issue. The Republicans in the Senate and the House could have helped prevent this, but they chose not to. And I have oh, okay. no reason to believe this is going people choose to Okay, Brian, I'm going to Brian, I'm going to let you go because Brian, I'm letting you go because I just See, this is the problem that I, I understand we're really, really polarized, and you got people that are just it's those evil Republicans or the flip side, it's it's the Democrats. All right. I'm trying to talk about concepts moving forward as to whether something is a good idea or not. And I understand you got the haters. you got haters on both sides. Oh, it's those evil Republicans. I want to talk about as a policy matter whether or not this is something that is a good idea. Does it make sense? And is it too much to expect people to do a little bit of something to, to vote? Or, on the other hand, is by saying, okay, we're going to now have our elections where all you have to do is go out to your mailbox and fill that in. What sort of problems does that cause, and how do you go past those problems? Now, we are clearly, right now, not in the state of Wisconsin, for sure, and my guess is in most of the countries, we're not geared up 
to deal with an all-male election, where M-A-I-L, an all-mail-in-vote election, because, you know, you're, you're seeing this. You're seeing, like, the Postal Service got overwhelmed, the clerks of courts got overwhelmed, all these different types of issues. Now, is that to say that, you know, if you tried to factor this in and you tried to figure out how to make it, could you make it work? Okay, maybe. Then the question becomes, should you make it work, given the fact that this is clearly clearly going to be a a major sea change and is it too much to ask that people actually you know do show up and do affirmative things to try to vote now the way it works in wisconsin right now is that even if you're voting via mail you have to have the thing witnessed and my understanding is that there's at least in milwaukee there's about 750 people who sent their ballots back and and they weren't witnessed so they're not going to count you also have to you know jump through the hoops of, of sending of downloading a photo id and sending that in and then who knows how many ballots are going to get this qualified because people didn't do that i mean do, do we keep if we go to a mail-in only do we do we eliminate that requirement of having the thing witnessed do we eliminate the requirement of again requiring people to, to send a photo id along with it is it even practical is it even necessary can you make something like this work 855-616-1620 let's talk to dennis in milwaukee dennis you're on wtmj Hi, Jeff. Jeff, I agree with you. I love going into my polling place on Election Day, voting there, and then seeing my ballot uh, go through a machine. So I guess I would be against um, all mail-in voting, which is one of the reasons I spent an hour outside Washington High School this past Tuesday uh, preparing to vote. And before I give you the rest of my thoughts, you can debate whether Milwaukee should have had five more than five polling places open. I will say this. Once I got into the gymnasium at Washington High School, um, the staff was very professional. It was very well organized. Everyone knew, knew what they had to do. So I, I had to mention that. But with respect to the absentee balloting, um, this this issue with the post office is more than, than just Milwaukee. It involved uh, Oshkosh and Appleton, Fox Point, and a whole other series of uh, communities. So I really think that there has to be a thorough investigation as to why this happened. Right. No, I, and thank, thanks. For, and I, by the way, Dennis, I, I don't disagree with you. I mean, it, to me, to me, the problems that, that they had is one of the reasons why just trusting the entire voting system to, all right, we're, we're going to send people ballots based if you're registered or not. But we know, for example, in Wisconsin, we know there's huge problems with the voter registration rolls. Remember, I mean, that, that we've got all this litigation going on now about you have all these people who have, have moved, for example, but they're still showing up as being able to vote at another location. You know, th- those ballots are going to go to the old location. So you're going to have people who aren't going to be able to get their ballots. And then when they don't get their ballots because they've moved, are they going to complain that, hey, the ballot went to the wrong place. I mean, I will tell you, if we decide as a country to go to like mail-in voting, it's not going to be something that you're going to be able to do on a dime. It's not going to be something that you're going to be able to get started in the next two or three months. It's going to be something that you're going to have to say, okay, this is our goal. If it is, in fact, our goal, this is our goal, and our goal is to be able to do and impose the system 
two years from now, or probably more likely four years from now, because the only way it works is if you, first of all, clean up the voter rolls so you know that the voters, that the addresses are all good. And we're way, way, way away from doing that. And whenever we've tried to clean up the voter rolls, you've had all the inevitable lawsuits and the complaining uh, about that. So you've got that whole issue that's going on. In addition, then you have to deal with the, all right, how can we guarantee that these ballots are getting returned? And again, I, I understand... I swear, I love putting the thing in the machine and seeing it get counted. Now, I voted early absentee this year, and but I mean, at least I, I know that the ballot was received. I gave it to the young lady who was, you know, behind the desk, and I, I watched her seal the envelope. And so, I mean, I, I'm assuming it's going to get fed through the computer at some point in time. But at least, I mean, I knew I dropped it off. If you just put it in the mailbox, and again, this isn't a criticism of, of postal workers or anything like that, but sometimes these things happen and you're not ready to go to a mail-in voter system until you have an idea number one of why this stuff happened and number two how you can guarantee that it's not going to happen in the future all right back with more in just a minute this is jeff wagner this is jeff wagner on wtmj so very glad to have you with us all right the milwaukee county transit system announcing that they are going to limit those buses to 10 people on them at one time, pursuant to the shelter-in-place order from Governor Tony Evers. The outgoing county executive, Chris Abley, says, well, like the, the bus service is only for essential rides, like those going to medical appointments or essential jobs. So if you... I need to go out and get groceries or something. You, you don't necessarily qualify. But so they're limiting it to 10, 10 people on the bus. And I, I understand why they're doing this. Candidly, if you look at, if you look at some of the communities where, where the outbreaks have been greatest, New York City, of course, has been the epicenter of this. And, and what's, what's one of the things that goes on in New York City? Well, first of all, you have population density. People packed in closer spaces than anywhere else in the country. Secondly, you have pretty much dependent on mass transit. I mean, unlike other communities, like, say, Los Angeles, where, yes, there's mass transit and people take, you know, buses and things like that in Los Angeles, people drive. But in New York, you're on the subway, you're on the buses, and I I personally believe that that dependence on mass transit, where you've got a whole bunch of people crammed in a subway car together, I believe that that probably did, was one of, not the only, but was one of the causes of the spread of coronavirus. I guess it just intuitively, it makes sense to me. So I understand what what they're doing with the the different bus thing, and, and I guess hopefully this will be sooner rather than later, and particularly in Milwaukee County, where you you do Milwaukee County in general to the extent that there is an epicenter of coronavirus in in Wisconsin. Uh, this it it would be in Milwaukee County. So I, I understand why they're doing with this, the buses. I'm I'm not critical of it. I am just trying to picture if you're that that person that's been waiting for 15 minutes for the bus and it it pulls up and they bypass you because you would be the 11th person. Going to take a bit of understanding to say, okay, I have to wait for another 30 minutes to catch that bus. So I don't know how practical this is going to be, but I understand why they are doing it in theory. Hopefully. This will be one of the things that they roll back much sooner rather than later, because there's no doubt in my mind this is going to be a significant inconvenience for the people who depend on the bus system to get them to their jobs, to get them around, to get them to the grocery stores and things like that. Just saying. 
Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Matter of fact, hey, by the way, if you check out the JS online, I don't, I don't have the hard copy of the paper anymore, but. They do stories about the local businesses that have been affected and affected by the coronavirus shutdown. And um, even, see, a lot of businesses, even if they're allowed to stay open, what's happened is they, they just, they've closed or substantially rolled back their, their operations because people are staying home and, and people aren't going out or people aren't, aren't buying. There's a big piece today about um, Harley dealerships and how, Harley's been impacted by this. As a matter of fact, there, there's a feature on uh, some folks at Suburban Harley, including my uh, one of my bar buddies and one of my golf buddies, you know, Dick, who's a salesman there, talking about how this this has affected them. And even though they're allowed to stay open, you know, people just are making the decisions not to buy. The, and so it's certainly true with with motorcycles, but also it's true with automobiles. My, my tease before the the break was, who do you know wants to buy a car? Now you, of course, if you are a long time Milwaukeean, you will remember that that's kind of a, a tribute to the late Ernie von Schladorn. Ernie von Schladorn was just a, a, a very very prominent car dealer in the Milwaukee area um, and Germantown and his his principal I mean I think they started dealership started like in 1960 on Capitol Drive and then they ended up in the late 60s and 70s moving locations out to, to Menominee Falls and and they had various dealerships but but Ernie always did a lot of TV advertising and he passed away about five or six years ago but he'd go out and say who do you know wants to buy a car and then that that was kind of the tagline for Ernie von Schladorn, and it was at, in its day, he was probably as well known for that tagline as, <clears throat> say, some of the other advertisers, like one call, that's all, you know, that that type of stuff. But but auto dealers in general, and in the state of Wisconsin, auto dealers are considered to be an essential business, so they are allowed to stay open. They they, they are allowed to stay open. At least that's my understanding, and, and sell cars. But a lot of them have have closed down their showrooms. A lot of the car salesmen have been furloughed because the, the whole dynamic of of buying automobiles right now ha, has changed. You don't have you know people going out and walking along the you know walking out at the the showrooms or walking through the dealers' lots and kicking the tires, physically speaking, and, and looking looking at cars. So even if they're open. What's happening is there's just not the kind of foot track traffic. The entire dynamic ha- has changed. And I suspect that there's a lot of people out there who maybe, you know, your plan was, hey, I want to I want to get the old clunker through the winter. And then, you know, once spring rolls around, once the weather starts to get better, once we get to, you know, uh, March or April, that's when I want to go out and I want to take advantage of this. And you know, you you can see it on television, you can hear it on radio as well. I mean, auto automobile advertising is a there. It's a huge element of advertising. And yes, there's still some car dealers that are doing some advertising, but but in general, they, they've cut back because even though they're allowed to stay open, you're not getting the foot traffic there. They're they're not selling cars like they used to. And of course, what's happening is a lot of the car manufacturers they've They've laid off or furloughed their employees. They're, they're not producing new cars now. So right now you've got stuff that, that's on a standstill. There was a real interesting story yesterday in the L.A. Times. Here's the headline. Car dealers are desperate. 
does that make it a good time to buy a vehicle online? And it goes on to talk about how um, right now, and the, the principal premise is, if you're blessed with good health and you have a reasonable chance of keeping your job, now is a great time to buy a car. Now, you might have to shop from home or wherever you're sheltering in place, and you might need to be a little bit adept at at online shopping and ready to negotiate a price by email or phone. But the premise is, if you're considering, if you need a car or you're considering buying a car, now is probably the best time. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And see, I'm generally intrigued by this because I'm trying to... I'm trying to figure out what the world is going to look like when we come out of the COVID-19 tunnel. And I'm trying to figure out, okay, what's what's it going to be like for different businesses? How long is it going to take businesses to rebound? Will some businesses even rebound? And, for example, there, there's, there's lots of big retailers. I, I think they're not going to come out of this. They were having cash flow program problems beforehand, and I don't want to necessarily – name the the department store chains, but I think you're going to have a couple of them that just aren't going to be able to survive this shutdown. And I think that's just the reality because the the economics are going to be such. But from the perspective of of automobile purchasing, 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. People need cars. People need new cars. People need used cars. People need to replace their cars. People want to buy new cars. So the, the industry will, in fact, at some point in time, come back. How quickly? I don't know. But for right now, is now a good time to buy a car? And would you consider buying a car now? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'll tell you where I come down on this, and we'll discuss in just a moment. Okay, is this a great time? If you need or want a car, is this an ideal ideal time to try to buy one? All right, if you're on the line, please hold on. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back with your calls in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. See, I really believe that when we come out of this safer-at-home, shelter-in-place era that we're in, and I don't know when that's going to be, whether it's two weeks or two months, but but I think there's going to be all sorts of, of pent-up demand. And, and one of these areas is is automobiles. I mean, I think you know, people people want new cars. People need new cars. People, you know, want to get rid of their, their old junker or whatever. There's going to be that demand. We're still going to want to buy cars, which brings me to the point now, and it's the point this L.A. Times story I was looking at, is saying that, you know, if, if you're, again, if you're, if you're financially stable and if you can afford it, now is a great time to go ahead and consider that. And I don't know that a lot of people are thinking about it. If I were in the market for a car, and I, I mean, look, I, I, I know what kind of car my next one's going to be, what kind of vehicle my next one's going to be. I, I'm not really ready to replace old paint yet. But if I was, I, I think this is the time where you're going to get great deals. Chuck in Fredonia. Chuck, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Chuck. Yeah, I would... Uh enjoy your show and it's first time caller but uh regarding uh i have dealerships all over wisconsin so uh i follow the used car market real heavy and what's actually happening is the rental fleets like hertz and avis and dollar and enterprise they're all 
liquidating their fleets because nobody's flying or right. taking trains or going on ships. And so rather than just let their fleets sit there and rot, they've actually put them onto the market. And so the used car market, because the supply is going up so quickly, the prices are coming down really. Mm-hmm. So the used car so market this is, a great, is, uh, this is a great time to buy. Uh, yes. I mean, yeah. the new car market is, they they threw incentives at it too, but the used car market in particular has really been pounded, and so their values are very low. Interesting. No, thanks, Chuck. Thanks for the call. And see, and that just makes sense to me. It's funny you talk about the rental car thing. I have a, a very good friend of mine who worked he he got, he got furloughed but what, what what he did is he he he's, he's retired from his principal job and what he would do is he'd work a couple of days a week repo- for one of the rental car companies repositioning the cars you know it would be the deal if you've uh, you know they need uh, okay you, you need rental cars for this particular company they they need them at lacrosse so you know what they do is they you know he and a couple of the guys they they drive their vehicles they drive these rental vehicles to lacrosse in the day and then you know they shuttle them all back but that that's what the guy's job was well the, the to the point that Chuck was making the whole rental car industry has just it's it's just dropped off the map because people aren't flying people aren't traveling you know he ended up getting laid off because there wasn't any they're just not shuttling these cars anymore so yeah that I see that point about the used car market bottom line is this you know it is one of these deals where whenever there is adversity there is also opportunity and and candidly i mean i I think there's lots of great opportunities there if if you're in a position now the reality is a lot of people aren't in that position a lot of people i get it have been i'm the one that talks obsessively about the need to reopen the state and reopen this country because and so i understand if you know, you, you've been laid off or your company is closed and you're not sure if it's going to open. Again, th- this is not the time that you're necessarily thinking about buying a new car or, or a new used car. But if you're not in that situation, it's one of those times where maybe this is the best opportunity to do it. Um, Barb in New Berlin. Barb, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. I am living Hi, this right now. I was in the process of buying a new car. Um, I was down to two cars. Um, had good relationships with both. Um, it was just going to have that final drive. I was going to have my husband actually drive them and see once if he had a strong preference one way or the other. I really do need a good car, and I'm fortunate enough to be able to still be going ahead with this. And then everything fell apart, you know. Everything got, you know, we, we had our shutdowns. The car dealerships have been wonderful. They are reaching out. They're making good deals. Um, I'm the one right now dragging my feet just because it's kind of just not feeling real good about the whole corona thing in the middle of this. And they are doing everything to reassure you that way as far as, Mm -hmm. you know, sanitizing the cars and making sure that if you're driving them, you feel secure with it and all those kinds of things too. But it is a good time to buy a car. I can't deny it. So you're just trying to get over that, that last hurdle to ultimately pulling the trigger on the deal, huh? Yeah, it, it's kind of like I just got to have that, you know, I've just been holding back a little bit about that. Boy, this is just a little freaky right now, doing this right now and getting in all these different cars. And actually, one of the, candidly, one of the dealerships, when I went, they were all gowned up and 
Um, they, right. they were masked <laughs> even before anybody else was, and I walked in there, and it was like, whoa, what's going on in here, you know? So I, um, I admit that would be a little off-putting. You walk into the dealership, and everybody's everybody's in the, the, the personal protective equipment and stuff like they that. They were in that, and they said, we're not even allowed to drive with you right now, so you can take the car. Go ahead. Go ahead and right. drive the car, but we're not going to go along with you. And it was like, right. oh, okay, what's, you know? But um, I need right. to do this, and I'm just dragging my feet a little bit right now. Got it. Well, thanks for the call, but, Barb. I appreciate it. I mean, look, no, and see, and I, I do think, I mean, again, I think, I think there are opportunities that that are are out there. You know, I mean, it, it's not a car. I mean, I, I've told this story before. We've been, for some point in time in the future, you know, we, we I've been looking at a second place in Florida. And we, several right before this all happened, we, we put in an offer on a place, and it was much lower than the asking price, and we ended up not getting it. And <clears throat> on the one hand, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, I know exactly what you're talking about, Barb, because would I have liked this at my price? Yes, I would. But on the other hand, am I kind of glad that I didn't make this major commitment now, even though I, I, I'm, I'm not worried about my future, I'm not worried about the financing, but am I kind of glad until things just kind of settle down that that I, I didn't get it? Yes. And I kind of told the real estate agent, okay, I, I want to hold off on, on other stuff for the foreseeable future, and let's just, once this all calms down again, we'll, we'll take another look at it. So I know exactly what you're I know exactly what it is that you're talking about. Um, Steve in Genesee. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. How are you today? I am well, thank you, sir. Okay, are you considering buying a new car, new vehicle? We did last week. Uh, my wife, Lisa, is still working. She works at a nursing home, so, she, uh, so she's good. I'm retired, and last week we turned in her 2018 Subaru, and we bought a 2020 with all the bells and whistles, and we got 15% off on the MSRP, plus 0% financing for 63 months and no payments for 90 days. So it was a really good deal. Okay, were you a little bit hesitant about about making a, a major investment given all the uncertainty that's going on or or or, or not? Obviously not because you because no, you went ahead and all. pulled the trigger no. on the deal. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, it was a great deal and just couldn't pass it up. These new 2020 Subaru Outbacks are just beautiful cars and probably one of the highest rated consumer report cars out there too. Yeah. Well, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. And I guess that look, and, and I understand that there's there's people listening to our conversation who are saying, okay, well, it's easy for you know, it's easy for him to say because his wife's employed or whatever. And look, and I understand it, it's not it's not for everybody. There's a lot of economic uncertainty here. There's a lot of people who've been furloughed or laid off and don't know if you work in the hospitality industry, you don't know when the business is going to reopen. So I understand that there's a lot of uncertainty that that is out there, and there's a lot of people who just aren't in the position to comfortably do this. At, at the same time, for folks who might not be in that situation, you you might not get you might not get better deals than than there are now. And I, I just I, I just raise this point. Now it might be that also you have to approach it in a slightly different way. Maybe more of the internet shopping, maybe more of the negotiating. But for example, I think there's a lot of people who maybe you've decided on what your next vehicle is going to be. I I know what I want my next vehicle in all likelihood to be. It's just I'm I'm not sure. At least right now, that I, I just I don't need a new car. I might want one, but I don't need one. Jeff in Fox Point. Hi, Jeff. You're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. I would seriously consider it, but um, the only problem is that buying a car takes a lot of research. Like when I bought my current one, I narrowed it down to like three cars, and then I pursued all these different angles to make sure I was buying the right car. And I'm concerned that 
that that would be hindered by everything that's been going on. Yes. Yeah, I think there's. Um, I th- yeah, I think there. Thanks for the call. No, I think there's there's an element of of that too um, that that's out there. Um, here, here's a tech. Uh, Jeff, my son and daughter-in-law just bought a used car this past weekend. They said the dealership was packed with buyers. The new car they wanted was gone by the time they got there. They had been looking, and they felt now was a great time to get a good deal. Apparently, a lot of other people felt that as well. So, and, and actually, that's. See that's to me that that's 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 good to hear because if again you don't want to be irresponsible but if you feel comfortable making the purchase if you need that I mean there, there's really no reason to hesitate and I I mean look the automobile industry is a huge part of our economy on so many different levels and I, I mean it, it's it's great to be able to do that I have a I have a very dear friend of mine whose son not in Wisconsin, but it's starting off a career as an auto salesman. What a great time to start off as an auto salesman, huh? And, I mean, I know the dealership that he works at has furloughed a lot of people, but they're still they're still staying open, and it's one of those deals where they're, they're, they want to be around and they want to be, you know, first of mind when things do come back. Jeff, I was going to purchase a truck within the last month or two, but I've decided not to pull the trigger yet just because the company that I work for all of a sudden went from 50 hours a week down to 32. Um, some manufacturers are hurting so i'm deciding to put the truck deal on hold and i completely and totally get that and i think there's a lot of people who are doing it it is a rational decision to make but it means that for other people if if you can afford it if it makes sense this is one of the times where where maybe you want to strike while the iron is hot because i firmly believe and maybe i'll be proved wrong but i firmly believe that once we come through this there's going to be a lot of pent-up demand for all sorts of, of stuff and things that people might have been putting on hold because they don't want to go out of the house. They just, you know, you're, you, we're all obsessed with dealing with the numbers and the implications of coronavirus and all. Once we get past that, whenever it is, I think there's going to be a lot of pent-up demand for a lot of things. And just with supply and demand, that means costs of stuff are, are going to go up. Are you going to be able to get good deals on cruises and air travel? for a foreseeable future yeah other things well maybe it's time to strike while the iron is hot if you can afford it and if you need it back with more in just a couple minutes this is jeff wagner wtmj live from the annex wealth management studios at historic radio city this is the jeff wagner show and now wtmj's jeff wagner good afternoon wisconsin welcome back to the show so glad to have you with us um, it is a numbers game because the numbers determine when we can start thinking about reopening the, the state. It is clear to me that shelter in place or safer at home is is working. Um, every, every day at 2 o'clock, they, the state comes out with its new numbers. Now, they're, they're somewhat lagging because... The, the counties might come out with numbers sooner, but I mean, here, here, here's the the numbers. I mean, as of as of today, positive test results um, two thousand eight hundred and eighty five. 2,800 people testing positive for coronavirus in the state of Wisconsin. Now, again, my, my guess is that's low because we don't test everybody. The, the people that are primarily tested are the people that are in the emergency room whose symptoms are so bad that, that they need to have the test. A lot of times if you have symptoms, 
but it's not a critical situation. They tell you just stay home, and they, they recommend the treatment. So my guess is that number is low, but 2,885 positive tests, 111 deaths. Uh, the majority of the deaths and the majority of the, the positive tests are, are in southeastern Wisconsin in general, Milwaukee County in particular, and the city of Milwaukee in uh Particular, particular. Um, negative tests, 31,424, meaning the vast majority of people who were, were tested and they thought they might have COVID-19, it, it turns out that they don't, which is a, a very good thing. And again, from the perspective of, of giving you some perspective, and I don't mean in any way, shape, or form to diminu- diminish in any way, shape, or form the impact of COVID-19, but there are 5.8 mil, million people in the state um, hospitalizations, 843, um, which is significant, no question about it. But I, I think last time I looked, there, there were over 10,000 hospital beds in the state of Wisconsin. So I, I bring this up to say that we're at this point in time, and we haven't had a surge yet. I think the authorities, and they keep estimating when this is going to happen. But at least right now, given the fact that people are sheltering in place and safer at home and things like that, you're, you're not seeing the type of apocalyptic numbers that the models predicted a couple weeks ago. And, and that's, that's all a good thing. And I'm not saying that we're in a position now where we just relax the guidelines or release things, but it does give you a basis for saying that, that maybe we're going to be able to get the state back on its feet sooner rather than later. So that's the latest numbers, 2,885. And, again, keep... Keep in mind that even if that's even if that's low, two weeks ago they were saying they had models that said by yesterday would be twenty two thousand, and that we'd have four hundred to fourteen hundred deaths, and we have a hundred and and eleven according to their official reports. Not to minimize those one hundred and eleven deaths by any way, shape, or form, but just at least so far. It's not turning out to be as bad as was originally predicted, and that is a good thing. And I think, in part, it's a testament to Wisconsin residents doing the right thing. All right, at the start of the program, I said that by, by the time 3 o'clock ended, I think I was going to infuriate everybody on one issue or another. You know, earlier on in the program, I, I talked about what I thought has been the, the governor's the, the need for the governor to figure out and, and to be a leader and to tell us how we're coming out of this and what the plan is. And I was certainly critical of the city of Milwaukee for the way it operated the election on Tuesday. Well, here's a flip side, because actually there's a column in, in all places, the Wall Street Journal. And the editorial page of the Wall Street Journal is one of the few conservative voices that's out there. I mean, in general, if you're reading editorial pages still, New York Times, Washington Post, USA Today, all those, they tend to approach things from a very liberal perspective. Wall Street Journal is the flip side of that. And yet, they have an editorial today that caught my attention and that I have to tell you I I agree with. Now, I don't know if you spend time in the evening watching the daily coronavirus news conferences that are conducted by President Trump, and that's where you see the doctors that show up, and then the last 15 minutes or so, you get Vice President Mike Pence that comes in. But I've, I've been watching those. As a matter of fact, that, that tends to be when my wife and I sit down and, and eat dinner. <laughs> that's, that's kind of it. So we, we've kind of got this on in, in the background. And I admit that I have been watching not all of them, but, but many of them, at least for a time. 
Let me share with you the Wall Street Journal, at least a portion of the Wall Street Journal's editorial today. The headline is, Trump's Wasted Briefings. The sessions have become a boring show of president versus the press. Here's the way it starts off. A friend of ours who voted for President Trump sent us a note recently saying that she had stopped watching the daily White House briefings of the coronavirus task force. Why? Because they have become less about defeating the virus and more about the many feuds of Donald J. Trump. The briefings began as a good idea to educate the public about the dangers of the virus, how Americans should change their behavior, and what the government is doing to combat it. They showed seriousness of purpose, action to mobilize public and private resources, and a sense of optimism. Mr. Trump benefited in the polls, not because he was the center of attention, but because he showed he had put together a team of experts working to overcome a national health crisis. And by the way, I I agree with all that. But sometimes, the editorial continues, in the last three weeks, Mr. Trump seems to have concluded that the briefings could be a showcase for him. Perhaps they substitute in his mind for the campaign rallies he can no longer hold because of the risks. Perhaps he resented the media adulation that New York Governor Andrew Cuomo has been receiving for his daily show. Whatever the reason, the briefings are now all about the president. They last for about 90 minutes or more, and Mr. Trump dominates the stage. His first-rate health experts have become supporting actors, and sometimes barely that, ushered on stage to answer a technical question or two. Vice President Mike Pence, who leads the task force, doesn't get on stage until the last 15 minutes. becomes the most informative part of the session, since Mr. Pence understandably knows details the president doesn't. Mr. Trump opens each briefing by running through a blizzard of facts and numbers, showing what the government is doing. This many tests, that many masks, so many ventilators going from here to there, here to there, and what a great job he's doing. Then Mr. Trump opens the door for questions, and the session deteriorates into a dispiriting brawl between the president and his antagonists in the White House press corps. Um, One of the ironies of this presidency is that Mr. Trump claims to despise the press, yet so eagerly plays its game. Every reporter knows the way to get a TV no moment, to get a pat on the back from newsroom pals, is to bait Mr. Trump with a question about his previous statements or about criticism that someone has leveled against him. Mr. Trump always takes the bait. On Tuesday, Mr. Trump was asked, in a typically tendinicious fashion, why he had compared the coronavirus to the flu. Instead of saying he'd been hoping for the best but was wrong when he said it, he got into a fight over the severity of the flu. This sort of exchange usually devolves into a useless squabble that helps Mr. Trump's critics and contributes little to public understanding. The president's outbursts against his political critics are also notably off-key at this moment. This is an impeachment, and COVID-19 isn't quote-unquote shifty shift. It's a a once-in-a-century threat to American life and livelihood. The American public doesn't care who among the governors likes Mr. Trump or whether the Obama administration filled the national pandemic stockpile. There will be a time for recriminations. What the public wants to know now is what Mr. Trump and his government is doing to prevent the deaths of their loved ones or help the family breadwinner stay employed. If Mr. Trump wants to make his briefings more helpful to the country, here's our advice. Make them no more than 45 minutes except on rare occasions. Let Mr. Pence lead them each day, focusing on one issue or problem. Mr. Pence can take questions, and Mr. Trump can show up twice a week to reinforce the message. Maybe then our friend who is a Trump voter might start watching again. That's the Wall Street Journal. 
855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do you agree? Have these press conferences for these updates, for, for whatever reason, have they, what is the phrase, jumped the shark? Um, my answer would be, yeah. I'm not sure I completely agree with everything in the editorial, but I agree with a lot of it. Because I start watching it, because I want to hear the numbers. I, I want to get the idea of where are we in flattening the curve, and, and how are we doing in getting PPEs and all that stuff to the people who need it. And then, <clears throat> they're right, it, it ends up in this conflict between the press corps who's playing gotcha and the president who's thin-skinned and they're arguing back and forth about trivia 855-616-1620 that's the accurate mortgage talk and text line what do you think about these ongoing press conferences are they constructive or really could you drop them we discuss in just a moment, 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And from the perspective of the president and the country, are they helping or hurting the way they're being conducted now? Back to discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. All right, here's a couple texts before you go to the phones. Uh, Jeff, I agree with that editorial. I voted for President Trump. Um, Jeff, I'm basically a Trump supporter, but he should stand back and let the experts talk. He's shooting himself in the foot. Jeff, I totally agree. I can't stand the childish behavior. I don't bother listening anymore. I um, I, See, that that's it, kind of it. I, I watch this because, I, I mean, I do want to know stuff. Like I was saying earlier, I, I want to know Okay, what are what are the numbers looking like? Where are the hot spots? How are we doing with getting the masks and the ventilators? I don't care about the blame right now, and I don't care about this or that or the other thing. And then you start taking questions, and, and it is true. You've got these reporters who they're out there to bait the president. That That's what they want to do. They want to put him on the spot, and he seems to me to take the bait all the time. And then, then you're just kind of off to the races with this whole thing when – it's all kind of a waste of time. And I, I admit sometimes I watch it just for the theater of it, but then next thing you know, it's going on an hour and 15 minutes or an hour and a half. It just, wouldn't you be better off with five minutes? Look, this is the highlight. This is where we have, and let it be developed and delivered by the medical professionals. 855-616-1620. James in Milwaukee. James, you're on WTMJ. How you doing, Jeff? I'm well, thank you, sir. What do you think? I think I think 15 minutes to half an hour, and I think uh, once a week maybe uh, show his face on TV. But let the the uh, the, the medical staff and that and uh, Pence and the rest of the people yeah. uh, let them do their job. And uh, 15 minutes to half an hour would be good enough. Uh, and let him on maybe for 15 and a half an hour once a week uh, would be all okay. I, you know, like you said, it gets away an hour, two hours, or whatever it is. It's, it's it's baloney. I mean, it's 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 off the dark and beaten track. Let's get let's get together and let's get this thing over with. Right, right. Thanks for calling. You. Right, and and then of course it's this game of gotcha, and he despises the press corps, and the press corps despise him, and everybody's trying to find their their moments here. I actually, I will tell you, I have been very impressed with the vice president of this. I think he's got, you know, when when he comes on, they've got this attention to detail, and I, I get it. He's been the guy. He's heading up the task force, so he's in the guy that's in. He's the guy that's in the meetings. He's the guy that's working with all those numbers. I I, I actually perk up when he comes on because the stuff that I want to know. I mean, he, 
he's going to be talking about this. All right, this is you know this is why it was that we made the decision to you know send the ventilators to Denver to Colorado instead of to Kansas because the people in Denver we were monitoring this and it looked like Denver was going to have an outbreak and we're trying to get ahead of it. And no, it's not because the president likes the governor of Denver better than the governor of uh, governor, governor of Colorado <clears throat> better than the governor of Kansas. It's just this is what we're trying to do. John in Cedarburg. John, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, Jeff, I, I totally agree with that. The New York Times uh, editorial, I think that's exactly what it's come down to is a free-for-all. Uh, it's him trying to bait the press and the, and, and the press uh, in regards to him. And, uh, you know, I stopped watching a couple of weeks ago uh, when he ripped uh, Peter Alexander, a new one, because he asked him yeah. a question, and then an hour later he asked uh, – Pence the question, and Pence asked him in a in a in a mature uh, type of uh, response uh, that I would expect, and uh, and the fact that Pence is giving the information, uh, I can yeah. understand it from him because he's just giving factual information about it, and it has nothing to do with any emotion involved with it or who he's got a particular grievance with, uh, but that seems to be Trump's play here, and it gets ridiculous. I just want to know what the information is. And pass it along yeah. to me, and that's it. End of story. Well, well, exactly, and I think you know, President. The longer this stuff goes on, the more I think he candidly hurts himself because it does. It does devolve into this. I mean, maybe like the first week or so, I, I get it. You know, this is all new. We're trying to wrestle with this stuff. Now, I mean, I, I just don't want to sit and listen to this game of gotcha. You know, you said this months ago. No, I didn't. I don't care about any of that. And I don't think most of the American people care right. about that stuff. Exactly. Yeah, no, no, thank, I agree. Yeah, no, thank, I, thank, I, thanks for the call, John. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And again, I, I'm not trying to be uh, – and, and this, and, and for people who think the president can do no wrong, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to get the hostile tests, and the people who who hate the president, it's going to be, oh, you know, now you're finally realizing. That. I'm just, I'm just looking at this from the perspective of somebody who tries to be, I try to stay up on the news because of what I do, but also because I'm a news junkie. And I will tell you, I find these press conferences to be almost impossible to listen to now. I mean, I, I do. I, I, there's stuff I want to hear. I, I want how are they doing in New York? You know how how are we getting this stuff around? Most important, I'm concerned about I, what I want to hear is how are we doing in fighting this and how are we going to come out of this? And you know, give me the details that I need to do that. Period. And we've kind of lost sight of that. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.